0: I never knew love. Oh, love I never knew love could feel this way Hey I never knew love Oh man I never knew love could feel this way What's up? I'm your co-host DL
1: And I am your co-host, Indigo Blue, and this is Black Love Unpacked.
0: All right, Indigo, Uh, how are you doing today? I'm
1: doing well. How about yourself?
0: I'm making it, I'm making it, I'm making it. And so this is episode one, and so this has been a long time in the works, and here we are recording our first episode. I know I'm excited. What about yourself? I'm very
1: excited. We've been trying to get this thing together for a good little while and I'm excited to see uh, what we bring to our listeners.
0: In the next two episodes, you'll hear from Indigo and I as we introduce ourselves to our listeners. Episode one is going to be me and episode two will be Indigo. And Indigo, you have the questions.
1: I sure do. So let's get this party started. What's your name?
0: I'm DL.
1: And why don't you give us a little background about how you grew up, your childhood, who DL is?
0: I am a product of a single parent. And so my mom raised me in the deep south in Memphis, Tennessee. I am from, for all the Memphis people that's listening, I'm from North Memphis. From my side of it, we would say Springdale, but the larger neighborhood would be Hollywood. I was raised in an economically depressed community in. Uh, North Memphis, but I was able to make a long lasting friendships come from a a single parent that has impacted the way that I look out at the world, but also the fact that I grew up in a community that was tight. One of my earliest memories of a black community is that my grandmother passed. And so we had to load into the limousine and all that. So all of us loaded up. And so we had all these cars in the lineup. But the thing that was interesting, the thing that showed me black community was that all of our neighbors came out of the house to pay homage to my grandmother as she was taking her last ride. When the funeral was over with, they brought food. They had brought food before the funeral, but they continued to bring food and check on us and that kind of thing, And so. That was my entree to what those two things like growing up in the deep south, growing up in an urban setting in the deep south, growing up in an economically depressed place in this deep south to a single parent. I should say this my mother and I moved in with my grandmother when she had gotten worse. My grandmother had a brain tumor and it had impacted her eyesight. So, We first moved into a duplex right around the corner from my grandmother. Uh, Literally, there was one house between my grandmother and this duplex that we were living in. And then the next year, we were living in the house with my grandmother when my grandmother passed. She was raising my oldest aunt three children. And so when my grandmother passed, my mother and my aunt, who has no biological children, raised the four of us. And so I don't have any siblings, I'm an only child, but I grew up in a space where I had to share. Like most uh, black families were not traditional. I did not have that traditional upbringing. But so I did have a two-parent household. It was just two women who happened to be sisters.
1: The experience that you give is, I think, very, I don't want to say necessarily typical, but being raised by people who are more than just your parent, the community, that we get raised in a lot of times. I have some experience with that as well. So what is your educational background?
0: I am a product of Memphis City Schools. They they don't exist anymore, but I'm proud to be a graduate of Memphis City Schools. I'm, I'm gonna be a little weird here in that I'm gonna say I graduated from junior high, right? I went to Cypress Junior High. It is the only class ring I've ever owned. I have my ninth grade ring. I'm a product with Cypress Junior High. I'm also a product of Craigmont High School. I went on to get my bachelor's from the University of Memphis, and I got two M.A.'s from there. I got a Ph.D. from Georgia State and finishing a Master of Fine Arts from the University of Mississippi. I do African-American history. I do gender studies, particularly African-American gender studies. So everything that I do centers Black people. My master's in journalism looks at Black people in media. My MFA teaches me how to do production. And, and so I'm a multimedia journalist and a documentary filmmaker and storyteller. And as you can see, a podcaster. I'm also an African-American history and studies professor.
1: Okay, you've got a lot of education and experience under your belt, I see. So next up, it may be a sensitive question, but what's your romantic status?
0: Right now, I am single. My love story especially as a Black man with reasonable attractiveness and intelligence and personality. I got started late in my dating career, so I didn't date K through 12, right? I had crushes. When I turned 19, I had sex for the first time. And in that moment, it was my first kiss. It was my first sexual experience. It was my first, everything that I've ever done was my first at 19 which is interesting because of the pressure and stuff that I was on as a black man and being a virgin. Later, my ex, and she's probably the only person I call my quote-unquote ex. This is her claim to fame. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if you will see it that way, but this is her claim to fame in my story, right, is that she's seen as my ex. We started dating, and she has a daughter. I started in my early 20s dating her. And went to my 30s. And she can come on to the show. She wants to tell her part of the story. But this is my story and this is how I tell it. (laughs) She allowed her friends to tell her that since I had not married her, she owed me no obligation or responsibility towards monogamy and that she could date other people. I should preface this with, I moved to Atlanta to start my PhD program, and one of my mentors told me that I could not do both. He said that I could not be both a father and husband and get my PhD. Well, not that I couldn't do both, I couldn't do both well, because he made that decision to be married and have a kid while trying to get a PhD. So this is the advice that he gave me, and and I took it to heart. Our first major stumble came in when our friends advised her that she didn't have to be monogamous because she didn't have a ring on her finger. We had been dating for some time, and I had told her that I wanted to wait until I finished my PhD program to actually do marriage. And while there, that's when her friends gave her this advice. And so she starts dating. <laughs> so I always told her if she wanted to date other people, I was fine with it. Just let me know because monogamy was her idea. And because it was her idea, I wanted to maintain monogamy. And because I am a man of my word. And so if we're gonna be monogamous, let's be monogamous. I had a line of women, a line of women that wanted to sleep with me, and I wanted to sleep with them. So I'm not going to lie and say I didn't find them attractive, and I wanted to sleep with them, but I did not sleep with them because we had this agreement. Well, she listened to her friends. She decided to date other people, which included physical intimacy, and I wasn't really mad at the physical intimacy. I was more mad at the fact that she lied to me, and I thought she was my friend, more than she was my lover. And we'll get into that as well about what's more important. So a friendship to me, my friendship with my lover is just going to keep me strong in that relationship and being honest about any and everything because that's what how I am with my friends. And so growing up in the hood, that's so important. Loyalty is such an important component of Black community because you can't, Pick family, but you can pick friends. And so I thought if she was wanting to mess with other people, she would tell me. And so she did, not I called her uh, that type of thing. And um, uh, we that was year five or six or something, somewhere in there. Uh, but we ended up staying together a few more years of of trying to, you know, figure it out. And so in, in doing so, it made me figure out, like, I'm not upset over the physical intimacy because, like I said, I don't want to sleep with other people it was the fact that she lied and stuff to me, but that's when, that's how I figured it out. That's how I figured out, like, I'm not really a jealous person, right? And so that that physical component was no different to me than anything else. And so I should also say that I have self-diagnosed myself with ADHD and autism. So I might be a little skewed in what I think is important in a relationship or whatnot. But we tried. I did counseling and we tried to build. I tried to stay because I was my non-biological daughter, father, uh, at least to me. And I've maintained that relationship even to this day. I, I went into the single world damage. I did. I went into the single world damage. And I didn't know I went into the single world damage until I was in the single world. I didn't know the impact of my ex cheating. I, I believe sex is 90% mental and 10% physical. And every woman or most women I have slept with, I had the 90%. And what I did not know until we broke up and completely separated was the fact that I had low self-esteem, was low sexual self-esteem to where I wanted to find out if I was physically good at sex, if I was physically good at sex. And so I entered the single world trying to not make connections and just have sex to see if I was any good. And it was my first time going out into the world with that as an objective. And 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 the interesting thing is that I didn't do it well <laughs> in the sense that I still got to know the person and make connections. And the next woman I ended up sleeping with or being with is the mother of my sons. And that then became its own ordeal where we began with one objective. It it evolved to trying to maintain another objective. She is younger than I am. After my birthday, she's 12 years younger than me. So half the year, I'm 11 years older than her and half the year, I'm 12 years older than her. And that age difference played a major role in our not working out. But I became a father because of her. And I have not had a long-term loving relationship since my ex. And so my ex is, she's infamous for being my ex. And then the mother of my son is infamous for being the mother of my son. And so that is me in a nutshell. And so I've been dating and the landscape of dating has changed so drastically that I didn't recognize it, and I am maintaining my philosophy of what dating should look like and what the goal is. So that's my romantic love story.
1: Okay. And as you stated many times as you were talking, there will be many themes within just what you spoke about with monogamy, bearing children, the concept of love for African-American males and how... Y'all are encouraged to go out into the dating scene and being different from what people choose to do within our culture. So that moves us. You, you were talking about your son and your sons and how that came about. So what's the status of your family? How's family life for
0: you? So family life for me is a small, very small, close knit family. Like, like I said, my family can be an example a major example of the history of black people. So the history of my family is that my mother, father, family spells their last name a certain way. And my grandfather was the eldest child of his siblings. So he spelled his last name With an I. I want to say nine of them came after him, and none of them have the I in their last name. But in um, July of 2014, I had a son. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, my mother passed away in October of 2021. And this is going to (laughs) be, we're going to make news because. Outside of maybe 10 to 15 people, they don't know that I have a second son that most people do not know I have. He was conceived with my mom's passing, and true to form, he decided to be born nine months to the day of her passing, so she passed on. On October the 19th. And so he was born on July 19th. If you ever seen Daughters of the Dust. This foretelling of a child. So my first son was born on July 16th. My mother's birthday is July 18th. And then my second son. His birthday is July 19th. He and my first son. They wanted to be born near my mother's birthday. And I guess God knew that I would need that, the bookends. I told my mother she needed to live a long time because his birthday is so radically close to hers that how could I celebrate him and then have to deal with her loss on the 18th and having this full circle. I named my son my first child after me. And so just like me, he lost his grandmother in uh, second grade as well. That's where my family is. And full disclosure, I suffer from anxiety and depression from the loss of my mother. And I'm still going through that and I'm still working uh, through that. You know how important somebody is in your life, but especially around the big things, But there's so many small things that I did not realize until she was gone that impacted me. I have a strong friend network, but I still didn't realize how much my mother grounded me and consoled me and walked me through things. And and the thing that my mother never did was to prepare me for a day that she was gone. We hadn't had any conversations around how to get over it and all those kind of things. And How did she get over it? And so I'm still willing from that. And so my family uh, relationships, so uh, outside of my children, I am still struggling to maintain the relationship with my family, not because I don't love them, because I deeply do, It's just that being around them makes her absence so much greater. The reality of being around them is the reality that she's not. That's still a struggle. So that's where I am with my family.
1: Thank you for sharing that with us. Trauma and grief and loss as it pertains to losing somebody. Grief and loss is rough on us regardless, but when it's unexpected and we're not really prepared for it, which I don't know how you can prepare to lose someone. That is also another theme that we'll be talking about on the show and how our grief and loss impacts how we love others. Why do you feel that there's a need to unpack Black love?
0: Wow. So going to my love story is the fact that when I exited out of my long-term relationship I thought dating was going to be way easier than in my 20s and that we as a collective we have figured things out that we had really figured things out and lo and behold we hadn't and (laughs) one of the things I didn't mention (laughs) is I believe in reading self-help books and so I, have, I started reading self-help books maybe a year or so before I met my ex, which was preparing me to be with my ex for real, right? Like to be with her in a mature, grown-up type of way, although we were in our 20s, right? And I continued to grow as a person individually as well as uh, a partner, so I continued to read self-help books. I continued, of course, my education. So one of my educational backgrounds is I have a graduate certificate in African-American gender sexualities, and that includes Black feminisms, womanisms, Black masculinities, and also Black sexualities, right? And in learning about these things, it was I was continually learning about myself through my education and my experiences. When I was looking for something real, I thought it was going to be easy. And I did not know the pressure of age on Black women in the South. I did not know that everyone didn't grow when I was growing, right? And that everyone could not grow. So I was running into a lot of issues in my dating life. One of the things I would tell people is that I outgrew my dating market. And so I outgrew the black women that I could date because of societal norms and these other kind of things. They could not challenge some of the ideals or ideologies that I had challenged and overcome. There's certain philosophical things I just do not believe in. I believe in a long-term loving relationship that I want to do a ceremony, but it's really African-centered. I want to do an African-centered marriage, but I don't believe in gender roles, right? I don't believe in gender roles. I do not believe in gender roles. And because of that, especially in the South, where gender roles and the Bible are so interlinked, it became an issue. But we have now regressed in our understanding of black love. And this is the reason why I think it needs to be unpacked because I would say black men historically have been sexist. Historically, they've been sexist. We've had these moments of sexism where it, where you had this minority of black men who were not sexist and then you had a majority that were. Then you had moments where the majority were not sexist and the minority was, right? And so we've had these moments back and forth. At this particular moment in history, I think black men is what Moya Bailey coined as Noir, where this hatred of black women by black men is a real thing. Like when she came up with the term, I would have debated it. Today, I, I 100% believe, that the masses of black men are experiencing misogynoir because of this idea that they are not treated uh, like a man is supposed to be treated and that black women are in cahoots with white men to hold them down. I also believe black women have a lot to unpack about gender sexism, because sexism is just like racism is institutionalized, which means that you can have people who are experiencing the ism to participate in that same ism. And so just like you have Black people participating in racism or anti-Blackness, right? And and, and I'm going to use anti-Blackness over racism for that reason, because we don't see that we can be anti-black because of that history and and struggle of trying to survive. And so there's so much that I grew up in. And I'm not talking about nostalgia because I do history. And so this is not a nostalgic look at the past. There's so much value that we've lost. There's so much philosophy about how to navigate this world as an African-descended person, we've lost that in the mix of trying to maintain this concept of authentic blackness, which has created a perfect storm to where the guardrails are now gone and now... (laughs) The responsibilities are now gone. The philosophies are now gone or not practiced. I ain't going to say they're gone. They're not practiced as they should be. Alongside this idea that, one, you've overcome. Two, that there's this thing called authentic Blackness that you need to be performing. Three, <laughs> that we don't understand what 21st century oppression looked like. And because of that, we're not navigating that in any kind of substantial way that where we can move forward. And so there is this major need for unpacking. And that's the reason why I think I'm qualified to be in conversation about Black love because none of my degrees are in marriage, family therapy, or any of those things, but it is in African American history. And studies and the reason why these are so important that Republicans see how powerful our history is that they are put spending millions of dollars to make sure you don't have access to it, because that is where our freedom and emancipation and liberation and decolonization lie. That's where my qualifications come from. It's Of course, my own personal experiences. Like I said, I read a lot of self-help books and all of that, but that it really is grounded in that history. Because if we can understand where did this ideology come from, we can then see that it has no use for us today. I'll end while we need to unpack this with this Story, So I'm going to maintain this blackness because black people use allegory. We tell these stories to teach how to be better. So here's the story. There's a grandmother, there's a mother and a daughter. The daughter goes to the mother and asks her, why does she cut off both both ends of the ham? The mother says, I don't know. That is just what we do. I watched my mother do it. And this is what, this is black tradition. This is what we do. And, but the mother said, well, let's go ahead and ask grandmother why we do it, because she will tell us what the root of it is. And they go to the grandmother and ask, why do, you, why do we cut off both ends of the ham? And the grandmother looks at them puzzled and says, I have no clue why you cut off both ends of the ham. I cut off both ends of the ham because that was the size of my pot to make it fit into the pot. And so oftentimes we're cutting off both ends of the ham because we watched or witnessed our parents or grandparents or cousins or whoever do things. And then we capture that as something as a black tradition and that we have to be authentically black by doing it when it was something pragmatic in the past for survival or whatever that is no longer useful and or needs a remix at this point. And so this is the reason why we need to unpack it. We need to figure out what things are those ends of the ham, right, that we could have been keeping both ends of that ham, that that quote-unquote good meat. I'm a vegetarian, by the way, or plant-based, so I don't eat meat anymore, but if, but we we are wasting food For an imagined tradition and then also to be able to say a tradition can start today if we do it. And so we don't always have to rely on the past. We can start a new tradition that we can then pass on to our children and they can pass on to their children until it it no longer works for them.
1: I think you started unpacking some stuff (laughs) quite quickly and succinctly right there. There was so much. We'll get back to the ends of the ham reference. I think that we can use that to, to say, well, we're going to, let's talk about the ends of the ham in this scenario, but okay, moving on. So there are all kinds of podcasts out there about black relationships. There are men angry at women, angry at men, people trying to have these conversations in a way that is beneficial or in a way that's angry whatever you want to call it. So how is this podcast different from the others about black relationships?
0: One, we are stretching what it means, what relationship means. Too often times we project (laughs) going to that decolonization piece that we need to do. We've been told or sold a bag of goods that are not good. Europeans love to create hierarchies as well as boxes. And so to Europeans' fashions, they made love and put it into boxes and hierarchy. And so they created our boxes Then and said, here are the limitations. And so when we talk about love, we got to put love And here is how it works. But not only then, they created hierarchies. And so they then said, all right, there are different forms of love. And not only are there different forms of love, there's a hierarchy to this love. And so they then created Eros and Agape. All of those are Europeans creating boxes and creating hierarchies. But that's not an African-centered understanding of love. So an African-centered understanding of love is that love exists. So, that, so when we move away from this understanding that there's a such thing as romantic love, we can then start understanding how love actually operates and that that, is, that the way that we've experienced love through our family and community relationships is the same kind of love we're searching for in our romantic partners, that this is not a disjunction, it is together. And so I say, how are we different? We're adding gender studies, African-American studies, history to the conversation surrounding Black love. But we're not limiting Black love to romantic love. It's just one of the venues that we give love. And so we are examining the Black community, the Black family, Black friendship, and Black romantic love or partner love we also are not approaching it from a heteronormative standpoint what does that mean that means that there are black people cuz we're about black love right and so the most important thing that we're going to be highlighting is blackness and love and so blackness and love intersects our lgbt brothers and sisters right and so we need to be having conversations surrounding not just heteronormative understanding of black love we need to understand it from all the myriad ways of we also understand that we don't have the answer but it is this is the place to start having the conversation where we as a collective can make decisions that we then can enact as this black storyteller. I want to do it by, by example. One of the things that we need to have a true conversation surrounding, we're going to have an episode around this, and so I'm going to preview it for you and my argument, and so you'll hear it again. Heterosexual black men and black women. If we then said we only want to date black men and or black women, it, from, as a heterosexual standpoint, we only want to date black men or black women. There are not enough black men to go around for every black woman to have one, okay? So here's, I don't have the answer to what we need to be doing. I don't know if polyamorous or polygamy, so let me use language, right? So polyamory means multiple loves. Polygamy means a person who has multiple husbands or wives. Polygamy is a man having multiple wives. And polyandry is a woman having multiple husbands. When I was with my ex, I would meet women. and, And because my ex wanted us to practice monogamy, the women would tell me, well, she ain't got to know. I just want to sleep with you. So here's the question that black women need to have amongst themselves. If we decide that black men and black women heterosexually need to be together, and there's not enough black men to go around for every heterosexual black woman to have one, either you all need to have a closed-door conversation with yourselves to where you agree on you don't y'all won't cheat or deal with another woman's man, there's a whole slew of possibilities. And like I said, we'll have a whole episode on that, but that's just an example of us having the conversation that is solution-oriented. I am a humanities person that's good at math. If-then statement. If this, then that, right? And so we, we have to calculate what is it that we as a collective agreeing upon and then go out and live that philosophy, We're going to be putting out these conversations with a goal towards solutions, with a goal towards moving us and unpacking black love to where we can then go into black love thriving. And we put away everything that needs to be put away in our house as we unpack this black love.
1: Good deal. So then last question. How does this podcast change the conversation around black love? And does it change the conversation around black love?
0: It does because we believe in black love. We believe that it is needed. We believe that it can be repaired and healed. But we believe that it is needed and it exists. And then we can have it. And of course, the fact that we are putting forth solutions in conversation with the community. Because I got my philosophy. But if if we voted for as a community to be monogamous, to be licensed through government, married, and all those other. Like, if we voted for that, then I am going to step in line because that's what we have done historically is to step in line with one another for the betterment for all. One of the things that black, any kind of love, but black love requires is sacrifice. And we believe in for us to get to where we need to get to, we have to sacrifice to get that black love. And I think we're on the podcast out here. That's changing the conversation that we need black love and we're willing to put our money where our mouth is. Well, this
1: has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and what you're all about. And I'm looking forward to unpacking a lot of the things that you brought up in your introduction. Thank you for sharing who you are and being one half of this team that hopefully can unpack a lot of these issues that we have going on and talk about them honestly kindly and with a sense of purpose to do exactly what you said, to move us forward as we seek to love and be loved better by those around us.
0: And I want to thank you all for listening and believing in Black love. And so go out and love your family, your friends, your lovers. And more importantly and most importantly, all those individuals make up the Black community. So go out and love us. I never knew love. I never knew love could feel this way, hey, I never knew love, oh my, I never knew love could